Welcome to Engineering Stories, a podcast presented and produced by Silver Fox and the Institute of Engineering Technology. Engineering Stories is an opportunity for those experienced within the industry to tell their tale. This week's guest is Kels Brooks, an audio and cloud engineer working for Infor Group. Kels tells us about her interesting route into the field and what Infor Group does for young engineers. Hi, welcome to Engineering Stories. My name is Conor Maringolo. I am a University of Kent student studying electronic and communications engineering. And this is um, Alex, my co-host. Hi, hi, I'm Alex. I am working here at Silver Fox as the head of research and development. And we're on this podcast, Engineering Stories. With our guest, uh, Kels Brook. Brooks? Is it Brook or Brooks? Brooks, yeah. <laughs> Brooks, okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, do you want me to introduce myself? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yes, so, hi, my name's Kels Brooks. Uh, I am primarily an audio engineer, but I am also a cloud engineer currently working for Infor Group. So, Kels, tell us more about Infor Group. Yeah, so uh, Infor Group is a company I work for. Um, they're based in Manchester. We currently are renovating our very fancy offices in Media City. Um, and, yeah, basically, we are... Uh, education tech business we kind of do a lot of different things so it's hard to to pinpoint it to just one thing um but primarily our goal is to help young people get into engineering and technology so we run lots of different academies um we've got this new thing coming out called skill city where basically we just help um students who are from an underprivileged background or you know they might be from a minority background or an underrepresented uh, underrepresented background in STEM. So uh, young women, people from a BAME background, um, people who maybe haven't had the opportunity to go to university. And we try and upskill them and help them get the the technology and the engineering skills that they need to have a really successful and long career in in technology, really. So how does your company help um, young people in terms of um, like, what's their age group as well? So do you do from GCSEs to university or what 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 kind of age group are you looking at so at the moment um we run the restart academy which is uh, in conjunction with amazon web services and that may, uh, mostly focuses on uh 19 plus adults um so young people from the age of kind of 19 to 25 um although we we do help older students as well we've got plenty of of older students on our uh, cohorts at the moment um, and we basically provide that training completely for free. So the students don't have to pay for any of the training. We pay for all their certifications. We have um, a lecturer on board. We have um, all our support staff. We have a whole in-house like recruitment and careers team. Um, so we really try and give access to those skills that you maybe didn't get at school or you know you maybe lost access to when you left college or, or school or whatever um and yeah really just try and train train people up and uh give you an opportunity you know we're not bothered about your grades we're not bothered about your background we just want to know that you've got that passion and commitment for technology and that it's something that you're really interested in that's really cool i was curious on um what made you go into um in for originally what what was the driving force for you to go into something like that so I actually did the um, Infor Academy when I graduated from university. Oh, so I, I was like cool. a little alumni. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically um, I went to university. I did a degree in audio engineering, but throughout my time, I'd always been really interested in, in kind of programming and coding. And 
when I graduated, a lot of people didn't necessarily want to take me on because they kind of saw this audio engineering label and was like, that's not real engineering. I don't want to, you know, I don't think you can actually code. Um, I don't think you can actually do maths. Um, and then also kind of graduating into audio engineering in the middle of a pandemic wasn't fantastic. Um, so I ended up um, actually just taking that opportunity that Infor gave me, which is kind of, I've ended up being a bit of a poster child for Infor at the moment. But uh, from there, I did their course. I, I retrained as a cloud engineer and now I actually help teach the course. So uh, kind of gone full circle. Were there any transferable skills from audio engineering into into the cloud um yeah it's it's actually an interesting one because um there was for me personally a lot of crossover between i did a lot of like my dissertation kind of went off the kind of beaten track with audio engineering so i already could do a lot of coding um and i'd done a lot of kind of the maths and the the networking side of things but um, a lot of audio engineers already have a background in digital networking, especially when you work with, um, you know, all of these modern PA systems and, and desks that all kind of link to each other digitally. And uh, everyone's so familiar with, with how all of that works. And especially hardware, I think people don't realize that audio engineers are trained really significantly in a lot of different um, hardware and electronics. So that was all really transferable over to becoming a cloud engineer. Um, and I think, you know, all of the soft skills transfer over as well. I think people forget about that. And it's um, it's always really impressive when you've got um, loads of amazing hard skills that you've learned from university. But when you actually um, go into a job, a lot of people are really interested in those kind of different soft skills that you have. So why did you choose to go into audio engineering in the first place? Um, so it's actually a really funny story that kind of goes back um, a, a long time. Um, when I was younger, I was very musical. Um, I did a lot of music as extracurricular. Um, I actually am a, a trained opera singer and everything. So I kind of had that background. And all through school, I loved physics. And I was like really, really set on doing a physics degree. And then I kind of got to A-level and... I realized um, I kind of did a complete U-turn, did something really random, ended up applying for medicine, got a place and then um, realized about three months after I'd accepted the place that I didn't want to be a doctor and it sounded like a terrible job. Um, so I had to do the really disappointing thing of telling my mom I was no longer going to be a doctor, which she really wasn't very happy about at all. Um, <laughs> and so I was kind of stuck and, and all three physics, uh, in school i'd always been really interested in sound and everybody had said to me why don't you be an audio engineer and i was like i don't want to do that that sounds rubbish who would want to be an audio engineer like what's the point it must be the most boring job in the world and then when i was suddenly faced with this decision of what i was going to do um whether i would you know delay for a year and reapply to university i kind of thought you know let's have a look at this what what does kind of audio engineering entail would i like it and kind of almost by accident fell into it. And I ended up going for an open day, like a very last minute open day at one of, of the universities near me, which is actually the university I ended up at, um, Spirit Studios. And I just kind of fell in love with it. I saw all that it had to offer. And it's I think it's a really, really interesting career. You get to travel all over. You get to work with so many different people. Um, the actual engineering is super interesting. And you get that really good balance of getting to work with loads of really cool hardware and then still, you know, getting the software side of things, the coding. 
Um, and yeah, like I kind of fell in love with it, changed my application really last minute. My UCAS advisor hated me. Um, my mom, I think at that point was, had a very strong dislike for me, um, having disappointed her. Um, but no, like I, I, I joke, she was really supportive, but yeah, it was kind of, I made that decision in sort of like August and then started the degree in September. And I didn't really stop to think about it for too long. Cause I was like, this could be the most horrific, most expensive mistake of my life. And then I got there and I loved it and I never looked back. And, and I think it was kind of the, the best accident that ever happened. So are you still in, do you still do audio engineering at all? Yeah, I do. So um, obviously one of the, the major setbacks with being an audio engineer at the moment is the pandemic because all travel has kind of been halted. Live music has completely been halted. Um, so there's not an awful lot going on. I do have my own kind of freelance business that I, I run. Um, I do work as a freelance audio engineer. Um, and I've still been doing more studio based projects. Um, so recording people, mixing, mastering, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's kind of been a little bit slow just because of the pandemic. But when everything returns back to normal, hopefully soon, um, I've got some gigs booked in. I'm really excited to go back and keep doing that. And I think it's a, a really nice balance for me to kind of do something that I love, which is audio, that I can just go and have fun doing it. And then also, you know, do something that's so important to me with working for Infor and kind of the help that we give to young people. Um, that's something that's really close to my heart. And it's it's amazing that I get to do both. Um, you, you mentioned that, um, like working for Infor, that you, you're like a post child and <laughs> you're doing a lot. Um, you did their courses and stuff. You have a lot of good qualifications with like um, AWS and cloud computing and uh, along other things. But what would you say was your favorite course? What was the thing that stood out? That's a, a good question. Um, in terms of kind of the qualifications that I've done, I think one of my favorites was, was the AWS qualifications because um, for me, it was really cool to see how much I'd learned. I only did the 12 week course with with uh, Infor. And before that, I didn't really know very much about cloud engineering. Um, I'd kind of read up a little bit on AWS and, and I sort of had a vague idea of what it was. But to go from kind of being in that position of not totally knowing what I was getting into to taking that exam at the end of the 12 weeks. Um, and I remember passing it and just being so excited because I was like, wow, I actually have learned something and it is possible to, you know, change your career in 12 weeks, really. Um, so that's probably one of the most exciting ones. I think um, some of the other courses that I've done that maybe aren't so related to um, engineering is I did the mental health first aid course and that was that was a really important course for me to take I think um, especially working with young people and you know um, well working with anyone really it, mental health is so important and I think that was probably my favorite one in terms of it was the most interesting and although it's probably more on the soft skills side of things I think it was so important for me to kind of gain that understanding and take that qualification. Is there a specific course that you would recommend any young people listening to this? What what course would you recommend for them to in your if you were in the same position as you, you were before? Mm -hmm. Would you change anything? Um, I think 
I'd recommend to everybody, I know this is a bit of a hot topic at the moment, I'd recommend anybody to take a coding course, um, especially, you know, one that's based on Python. Um, I think it's so useful for young people um, and, you know, for young technologists to have that grounding in coding, even if you don't want to be a programmer, just to understand, you know, how it works and, and what sort of is going on when people are talking about programming. Um, and yeah, I'd say the AWS, I mean, I've told all of my friends to take the AWS qualification because it's not super expensive um, and it is really sought after, um, especially if you are interested in kind of engineering. Um, there's so many different roles available in cloud engineering. So I'd say it's a really good place to start and it can open so many doors for you. Um, a lot of people don't know that if you take one of the Amazon exams, you get access to a whole other um, AWS and Amazon job search that's just not available oh. to the general public. So if you take that exam, you get this, it's almost like a second LinkedIn or a second in, uh, Indeed yeah. or whatever um, of all these jobs that are just not available to the general public. Um, so that's, that's a really good tip that I kind of learned on my journey <laughs> with AWS. Um, would you mind saying what the um, what the exact is? It, do you know what the exact uh, certification is called and how much it would be for a young person to yeah? Uh, pay for it? So the ex uh, the certification I took is called the AWS Cloud Practitioner Exam. Um, I believe um, to pay for it upfront, it's around a hundred pounds possibly. Um, but you can get vouchers to reduce the cost for that. So I think you, most people can get a 50% off voucher or if you, not to plug us too much, but if you do find a company like us, <laughs> we'll pay for you to do it. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, but most most people, I think, if you are um, in a role, especially if you're doing like an apprenticeship or you're in an entry level role with an employer, most employers will actually pay for you to take that exam, um, which as another tip that I would kind of say is if you're looking at taking a certification and it's a little bit too expensive to pay for it out of pocket, ask your employer if they'll pay for it for you because, you know, they like to see your personal development and then you get an extra certificate to put on your CV as well. You've mentioned coding languages like python but i also see that you're a polyglot um which until today i didn't know was a word but so what's it like being a polyglot in an engineering world both in actual languages and programming languages um yeah so yes i am a, a polyglot i do speak a few different languages um so i think it's really interesting um I actually think, like, I likened learning. So obviously I learned to speak different languages before I learned to code in different languages. And it kind of made the process a little bit easier for me because I kind of felt like, um, well, if I can do this with natural language, so like natural language is um, is like, conversational language, like a real world language compared to a coding language. And I was like, well, if I can do it with natural language, surely I can do it with this weird abbreviated nonsensical language. Um, and yeah, so it, it kind of really helped with that. Um, but also I think, it, you know, with engineering in most branches of engineering, I think there's a lot of travel involved, um, particularly, you know, if you're based in Europe, I think you tend to travel a lot around Europe as well. So having those extra languages is, is really useful. Sometimes it's just one of those things that you can kind of like pull out of your back pocket when you're in another country and, and it just is, is a useful skill to have, um, although a very random one. <laughs> <laughs> what languages do you know? I feel like everyone's dying um, to know. 
so yeah I so the languages I know a bit random because I went to a, my high school was like a specialist language school so we learned lots of different languages um when when I was in high school so um I speak Spanish primarily that's like my most fluent second language I also speak a little bit of French and I somewhere in my brain there's some very rusty German skills as well um but yeah so and then also because I, I speak a lot of Spanish I also understand Italian as well so it comes in very useful I noticed on your um, on your CV and the information you provided that um, there is um, something to do with something called um, audio recognition and music information retrieval. Mm -hmm. And it caught my eye because I've not really heard of that kind of technology. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell more, talk more about it. Yeah, of course. So um, this is where my like inner nerd comes out because this is absolutely my like passion and, and my favorite research interest. Um, but basically, um, music information retrieval is this very strange um, kind of combination uh, subject, um, which is kind of like a mixture of audio engineering, psychology, computer science, um, and and all these like random disciplines all come together in one place. And it kind of, it looks at the way that technology um, uses sound and music um, and how you can use the information in that data to you know for for whatever reason really um i think the most prominent example of this kind of technology um if anybody re remembers shazam um when you used to you know you'd hear a song and you'd you'd get shazam out and find out what it was and then you'd go and download it um and for a while we hadn't really moved on past that and it was like this is this cool technology that we've got and um then everybody got shazam and then everybody deleted shazam and then we hey, kind of I've moved still on got shazam. <laughs> have you yeah still use <laughs> it's, it very it's regularly fantastic yeah um but now i think people are really starting to pick up on it mostly because there's been a lot of investment from from companies like spotify who are starting to use this data to really um, get inside our heads uh, and use it almost from a marketing perspective. Um, so things like when you have your Spotify radio um, or you have, you know, those when they make playlists for you, um, all of those algorithms have to come from somewhere. And part of them will come from your general listening behavior. You know, it might suggest if you've recently listened to an album that you might like other albums that are from that artist. But there's also things like you can actually analyze the wavelengths um, of the songs that you're listening to, to determine, you know, what what is this song? Is it a soft ballad? Is it a heavy metal song? Is it opera? Is it, you know, uh, a rock song, an indie song? And instead of having to upload that data manually, you know, by someone having to listen to the song and say, oh yes, this is a female singer or this has a guitar in it. There's now algorithms that you can run that just tell you that information without anybody ever listening to the song. Um, and this was what my kind of my undergraduate research was about. And, and I wrote a whole dissertation on it. But it's really, really fascinating how much information is actually in, you know, the sounds that we listen to. Um, and it's it's a really booming area of research at the moment. There's lots of different um kind of things happening especially with all the advancements in ai and natural language processing which is kind of a, a similar but adjacent um kind of research area um so uh, yeah i think it's just become really fascinating and interesting and there's all these technological advancements that are going on that are making it really exciting time to be interested in it and that's what you plan to do your phd in right is natural language processing 
Yeah, so um, I currently am studying for a master's degree part time in computer science and artificial intelligence. Um, and then my plan um, after I finish that is to go on to do a PhD in, in natural language processing and music information retrieval. Um, yeah, again, I just I, I get a bit nerdy about it, but I think it's so exciting and there's so many, um, you know, real world applications of, of something we probably don't think about very much, but even things like when you speak to your Google Home or your Alexa or whatever smart devices you have in your home, how they understand you and how you can, you know, use them um, for good. And, you know, it goes beyond the sort of superficial marketing and, um, you know, finding nice music that you listen to. But these are all kind of ethical robotics problems. Um, that we're looking to solve, you know, as we have an aging population, how do we help older people, you know, live independently longer? Could we use smart devices and, and this data to help them live independently longer? Um, could it help re rehabilitate people who've had, you know, a traumatic injury? Um, I recently worked with a company, they're called NewMind. They're doing some really incredible things in that space of helping people um, who've had traumatic brain injuries um, rehabilitate themselves with an Alexa um, by, by, you know, being able to set reminders and talk to an Alexa. Um, and I actually met them through and for they're one of our commercial partners at the moment. But all of this work is is so impactful and can be so, um, you know, can really change people's lives. And I think that aside from the fact that I love music and I love the fact that I can go onto Spotify and get a curated uh, playlist that I know I'll like without listening to anything. There's also those applications that really, you know, have have uh, a possibility and a chance to really change someone's life. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was very deep, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is produced by the IUT and Silver Fox. Silver Fox manufacture and supply cable, wire and pipe labels for a variety of sectors around the world, including rail, data, power, construction, renewable energy, oil and gas, and more. The company has been in operation since 1977, proudly manufacturing all products here in the UK and shipping them globally, either direct or via their ever-growing network of distributors. For all of your labelling needs, please contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 from my perspective, I wanted to know, um, for example, you, uh, you're working and you're doing a part time master's. Mm -hmm. What is that like? As in you don't really hear like I always see I always see a lot of people like on on the university websites like, oh, do a part time master's. It's fine. Don't worry about all the work that you're doing. And then the work that you're <laughs> going at home and no matter what that you're doing, you're always doing work. What is that experience? Um, <laughs> it's very stressful. Uh, I live off coffee. Um, but no, I, I think for me, it was a difficult decision to make. I did really want to do a, a full time masters. And part of it was influenced by the pandemic and the fact that I knew things were not going to be you know, totally normal. I I started my master's degree in the autumn of 2020. So obviously things still weren't quite back to normal by then. Um, but also it kind of was, for me, although it's hard and it is difficult to balance the time, I have to be like really organized. Um, sometimes I'm like leaving work at 5 p.m. and going home and then sitting and writing essays or programming for hours on end and it's a bit exhausting. Um, but for me, the benefit of doing it was I got to gain 
that real world industry experience, which I think is so important with engineering at the same time as also gaining um, a master's degree, which is, I think a lot of people um, go for master's degrees for the obvious reasons of um, you can get quite significant pay rises if you have a master's degree or you might want to go on to do a PhD. Um, and I want I didn't want to be behind on that. I wanted to, you know, kind of keep up with my peers. And I also didn't want to just have an undergraduate degree forever. Um, and so combining the kind of experience, I was very sick of being in university as well. Um, I, I really wanted to have a job and get into industry and do something meaningful with my time. So um, by doing a part time master's degree, you'll find that most of them are at least two years long. So it's kind of doubling my time or the time it was going to take to get that master's degree. Um, but with the trade off that I would get that experience at the same time. And I think that was ultimately why I made the decision I did. And although it's very difficult and uh, at times I do wonder why I made the decision to, to do things the way I did. Um, but I think, you know, having that experience of actually working in industry and every day when I go to work, I am applying the knowledge that I might have learned, you know, the night before when I was studying and directly seeing how these things work in industry. Um, you know, my current module is software engineering and development. And then I go into work and we work in, you know, scrum models or we're looking at different types of development, how we can set up different um, resources for different companies. So actually seeing that knowledge um, in practice, not only does it kind of uh, make it seem really relevant, but I think it also strengthens my knowledge and makes that, that learning more meaningful to me because I can see it directly in action. Would you say that um, with, with your uh, hours, for example, have you had to uh, like sacrifice a lot in terms of your social aspect, as in doing, I'm sure doing a part-time master's and working do you do you go home do you work all day and then come home and like how how what is like a typical day as a part-time master's student with a job yeah so um i generally i work nine till five um so i get up in the morning obviously no commute at the moment thankfully um but start work at 9 a.m um, and then at 5 p.m. I generally uh, kind of have an hour off. I might, you know, give myself a bit of a break from the screen and then immediately come back at like 6 p.m. and start doing work. Um, I do a few hours of work a day, so it, it is hard. Um, I would say in terms of like my social life, it's it's entertaining because right now I have an exam tomorrow and um, my <laughs> social life has been non-existent for the past two weeks, which is really frustrating because obviously all the bars have just reopened. Um, I'd say normally, you know, I'd say it's not, it's not the same as maybe being an undergraduate student where you really do get that social life. And it's not the same as being a full-time worker because obviously you'd have, you know, with uni, you, you will always have more work to do. You always, your evenings and your weekends are being taken up. Um, and yeah, I think it, it can be a difficult decision to make that sacrifice because I definitely have, you know, had to turn down social events or you know, maybe I don't have as much time for myself. And I would say like, when you are doing it, it's really important to look after your mental health as well, because it's really stressful. You don't get as much downtime and it can, you know, you've got to really consider whether it's the right decision for you. Um, and I wouldn't advocate it for everyone. Um, so yeah, I think it, it really can affect kind of your social life. Um, 
But I suppose as well, the flip side of that is we're currently in a pandemic and there's not a lot of opportunities for, for social events at the moment. So maybe I feel it more in the next few months when things are opening back up. Um, but for me, I think it was a sacrifice that I was willing to take to kind of, um, you know, get that industry experience at the same time as doing my degree. Would you recommend everyone getting a master's? That's an interesting question. I think it depends on on what you're doing. I would say for most engineers, um, I think it's a really good idea to do a master's degree because you just get paid more um, <laughs> if it comes down to the bottom line. Um, and for that extra year of education, you really can see a very significant pay rise. Um, having said that not everybody's going to want to stay in education for for that long for that extra year or two years if you're doing it part-time um and also you know education is not for everyone and there's absolutely ways and means of becoming a more experienced engineer without staying in education um in terms of like the industry experience that you can get if that extra year means that you know you've got an extra year's experience that can also be very useful um I'd say one one difficult thing is a lot of companies will look for engineers with master's degrees. Um, and if you know, it can be really difficult because some companies will look at, you know, the same candidates who look exactly identical on paper, except one person has a master's degree and one person doesn't. And, you know, probably are going to be more inclined to go with the, the person with a master's degree. So that was my personal reasoning behind it um, was was mostly the money and the opportunities it brings. But like I say, it's not for everybody and that's not to, you know, say everybody has to do a master's degree. Um, I think as well, if you want to use that time to gain some really meaningful experience um, and work your way up in a company, I think this is another thing with engineering is it's a very recent thing for engineers to have needed um, degrees and master's degrees and all of these qualifications because I work with some incredible engineers who don't have degrees um, and who, you know, started work um, after you know after school and then just kind of worked their way through a company and are now in very high up senior engineering positions so it definitely can be done without a master's degree um, there's pros and cons to it um, but you know I think ultimately it's it's a very personal decision um, and you can definitely get to the same position without a master's degree it might just take you a little bit longer. Speaking of your um, like all your experiences what would you say the hardest aspect of your job is? So your job currently? So I think in terms of when I work with students, one of the one of the most difficult things is is the soft skills. And um not so much that uh they're not necessarily like more difficult, but I think working in in industry is completely different to anything you might have done at uni or you know, when you're in school. Um, because the expectations are completely different. And when I first moved into industry, working with other people was a really interesting dynamic for me to get my head around because I was so used to working pretty independently throughout university. And then suddenly I was part of this massive team. Um, so I think that was that was tricky. And that is one thing, you know, that we, we kind of... Um, emphasize with the students who go through our academies is we really try and build up those soft skills um, because I don't think university necessarily prepares you for you know they give you all the hard skills they they give you all the training but they don't necessarily give you 
you know, how to pass an interview or what it's like to work in an office or what it's like to be in a massive team of, you know, potentially hundreds of different engineers all working on one project. So I think that was probably the biggest learning curve for me. I'd like to think that I'm getting better at it now. I've been in this job for, for a little while. Um, but yeah, I think that was the first thing. Um, but now I'd say probably C++. <laughs> I hate C++. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's probably the hardest thing at the moment. <laughs> With your background um, and like the amount of languages that you know, do you ever see yourself, you know, going abroad and being an engineer? I love traveling and I love working in different places. And I think as soon as I can, I probably will, you know, be traveling again. And so the job that I do at the moment, there's not necessarily a lot of travel involved because it's mostly just looking after students in Manchester. We're very localized. Um, so I've got no specific plans at the moment, but I do love kind of, um, getting to meet other engineers from other backgrounds and and one thing i am looking forward to is kind of going to go to you know um all of the events and the conferences and all of that kind of thing i think that's going to be really interesting but definitely in the future and with audio engineering you do get to do loads of travel you're constantly on the road so um i'm hoping that when that freelance side gets back up and running again that i will get that opportunity to to go and explore Who's the coolest act you've worked with in your audio engineering? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I think my personal favourite was I worked with um, New Order. That was that was pretty good. I worked with I worked with Tom Jones. That was a really strange one, but like surreal because I remember it was one of my first gigs when I was like uh, 19. And I remember just walking into this venue, I was at a festival and I was like, it's Tom Jones, <laughs> like, why is he here? And then it was really surreal. But yeah, I think in terms of my personal favorite, it was probably New Order. What, um, what is your end goal? What is the like final bit for you? I think it's, it's an interesting question, slightly existential question actually, um, because I think my, my focuses have changed quite a lot, um, especially over the past year. Um, but for me, I would love to be um, a university lecturer. That's like my absolute dream. Um, I'd love to do that and teach, you know, computer science and specifically natural language processing. Um, but yeah, like I'd love to just be able to do more research in, in the kind of audio recognition and NLP sphere. Um, and you know get paid to write lots of papers that would be excellent um if anyone would like to give me that opportunity um no, but i think as well um again going back to kind of what i was saying before about this technology has a real power to influence people's lives and uh, not just on a on a you know social level but also on a kind of um ethical robotics is very very interesting and through studying you know robotics and ai a little bit more deeply i think it, it would be really nice to work in that sphere and, and feel as if you know the research i'm doing is is useful and meaningful to people so i think that's probably the end goal is is to be able to do lots of research and hopefully help people with that my my question in terms of robotics and ai is what field of robotics do you think would um, benefit you, this kind of area that you're in? So what 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 is a nice complementary field for what you do? I think there's a, a few different ways. There's 
especially with kind of like this human-esque robotics AI thing that's going on in terms of if you were going to build a perfect human robot, like human-esque robot, should I say, then obviously this is very important. If you wanted to have a conversation with a robot, you know, natural language processing is, is very, very important. Or even just, you know, understanding, um, you know, kind of what's going on in its environment, like robot sensing and, and you know, that kind of thing. I also think, you know, even things like, there's there's almost like safety um, th applications of, of this research. So things like autonomous vehicles is a massive one at the moment. Everybody loves Tesla. Um, but yeah, like <laughs> hearing the environment, again, like the processing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not a robotics expert by any means um, I, and, you know, I've only touched on it very briefly in, in learning about AI and, and doing those kind of AI applications. But I definitely think there's there's something to be said for, for the applications in robotics. And, you know, um, the going forward in the future, there's there's so many different ways that AI, well, I mean, AI and ro robotics go hand in hand, really. So it would be interesting to see what, what could happen. So you've mentioned that you've been an audio engineer or are an audio engineer you're a cloud engineer with the want to go into um academia but if you couldn't do any of those what would you be do you know what this one's a little bit random if i could pick anything that wasn't engineering uh, i don't know if this is cheating because it's still technically i suppose engineering but i would love to be an astronaut i'd love to do astrophysics i loved astrophysics when i was um in school uh, I was really bad at it. <laughs> I was terrible at it, hence why I never went into it. Um, but I was obsessed with it and like rockets. And um, I don't think you can see it, but in my background, I have like a blueprint of the Apollo 11. And I love all things space. So I'd probably want to be an astronaut or at least work for, you know, like the ESA or NASA or something. See, I, I thought you were gonna say I want to be a doctor then, and I thought your mum would your mum would be proud listening I'll to that. Make my mum happy, mum. I want to be a doctor. <laughs> Do you know what my second choice? Because I I was I was debating between two answers there. I think the other thing, if I if I couldn't be an astronaut, I I'm really interested in kind of bio uh, bio um, engineering and kind of like uh, healthcare engineering and stuff. So um, maybe maybe something healthcare adjacent, but I don't think all the money in the world could could make me put up with patients all day every day. <laughs> well, uh, the biomedical industry, uh, well, engineering um, is massive as well as um, really good applications in robotics as well, which is mm. quite quite nice. Um, and you could maybe make a robot that deals with patients for you. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I actually did some research. I worked at um, uh, the Technical University of Denmark for some time uh, a couple of years ago, um, just kind of shadowing and seeing what their research was about. And um, that was in the acoustics department. So it was part of my kind of audio work. And they were doing some really impressive things with hearing aids and looking at kind of um, biomechanical hearing and how you can improve oh, wow. patients' lives through robotics, but also acoustics and, and that really nice crossover. I do find it very, very interesting. And, and for a period of time was looking into going down kind of the audiology robotics route. And who knows, like maybe we'll end up there again. Um, it's very, very interesting. You are, of course, a STEM ambassador. So yes. what encouraged you to become one? This is probably going to be a bit of a, a deep and cheesy answer, really. I, I love kind of teaching. And obviously what I do at the moment is is very much um, a teaching-based role. And I love 
that kind of, you know, um, getting to interact with students and especially young people in STEM. Um, and even, you know, younger than I currently obviously work with young adults, but even younger than that, of working with children who think STEM like is like magic, like you show them a, a physics experiment and they think it's the best thing they've ever seen. And I think that is is really magical. And I love being around that. Um, but also part of the reason that I ended up being a, uh, a STEM ambassador was because when I was growing up and I loved physics and I loved maths and I was looking into careers, I never really saw a lot of people who looked like me. Um, I never saw a lot of women. Um, I'm also disabled and I never really saw any disabled people working in, in the industry. Um, and I just felt like maybe I could be sort of you know, maybe there's other young people who were like me, who were thinking about a career in STEM, but maybe didn't have the confidence to do so. Um, maybe didn't think, you know, didn't see themselves in that career or recognize themselves in that career. Um, so that was a, a really big motivator for me. And especially when I was at university, so audio engineering actually has one of the, the lowest gender splits. Um, I think approximately 5% of um, audio engineers are female. So it's very, very low percentage. And I always kind of became a bit of an ambassador when I was at university for, for women in audio and women in STEM. And then that was sort of a natural extension of that. So I've done quite a lot of work with young women um, and, you know, showing them that they're, even if you don't see yourself in STEM, we can be kind of the change that we want to see in the industry. And, um, and yes, yeah, to kind of inspire other people in a roundabout way and say like, this career can be for you and it's amazing and you should try it out. Cool. That was a really good reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so given that you're a STEM investor, as we've just discussed, what sage advice would you give yourself or another person in your position? I think I'd say even if you, you know, don't see anyone who necessarily looks like you, or even if you don't, you know, feel like it's it's the right, it's almost like you don't feel like you belong, I'd say go for it anyway, because it's really one of the most amazing careers. I mean, obviously, we're all very biased because we are all engineers, but I think it's, there's no other job in the world where you get to combine um, you know, you get all of that, you kind of get to be around people all the time, you get to travel, you get to work with so many different disciplines. Um, obviously, if you are a lover of maths and physics, like I'm sure we all are, um, it, it, you get to work with something you love all, all the time every day, you get to create things, you get to be an inventor. Um, and I think it's just one of the best careers ever. Uh, and I still can't believe that I get to wake up and do it every day. So I'd say, like, just go for it. If that's what you are interested in, it doesn't matter whether you you um, feel like you belong or you you doubt in yourself, just just do it and um and always i think as well don't be afraid of making mistakes like i made lots of mistakes along my way especially at the start of my career by applying to medicine and doing all of these random things and i almost ended up in engineering by accident but it was one of the best things that happened to me and i think you know um 
sometimes the mistakes that you make can actually be some of the most influential things that will happen to you. So don't be afraid of, of failing or, you know, going off the beaten path, because if it's something that you're passionate about and you love, you'll get to the right place in the end. Um, and I think there's so many different engineers in, in this industry who did not, you know, their careers maybe didn't go the way that they expected them to, but they've ended up in the right place and doing something they love. So that would be kind of my overall advice. It's pretty good advice. Yeah, <laughs> wish I'd listened to it, but hey, hey. <laughs> so speaking, speaking of like advice to students, etc. But what would you, if you could write a letter to engineering, what would you say? Okay, I'm on the spot now. Okay, uh, so uh, dear engineering, um, thank you for being such an amazing influence in my life and giving me the opportunity to do so many different cool things. I wish that you were more accepting towards um, non-traditional students. I wish that there were more women in engineering. Um, I wish I didn't have to do C++ all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think engineering has been a phenomenal career. So thank you for all the opportunities that you've given me. And I can't wait to see where we go in the future and all of the work that we will get to do together. <laughs> I think um, on behalf of like me and Alex um, as co-hosts, you've been a really great person to interview and you <laughs> have a really you. unique style and like you have a very unique path that you went through as well. And hopefully ev like everyone listening to this will be able to kind of hopefully follow your steps as well and not go for the doctor role and go for an engineering <laughs> role. <laughs> everyone can disappoint their mothers just like me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the message of the podcast. That's the, yeah. that's that's the title. The We've caught that's our title. Dear yeah. Engineering, disappoint your mum. <laughs> <laughs>